Welcome, co-investigator. You have tuned into Renegade Files. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, broadcasting from the Jungle Villa Outpost, deep in the uncharted tropics. This is Renegade Files episode number 11, The Mysteries of Skinwalker Ranch. A 480-acre ranch in Utah's Unitah Basin has, for centuries, conjured tales of monsters, demons, UFOs, and Navajo legends of the fearsome skinwalkers, shape-shifting devils who exist to torment and terrify any who trespass upon their cursed lands. This is a case filled with frightened ranchers, billionaire paranormal researchers, senators, and black ops government programs created to study the unexplained. In this episode of Renegade Files, we will explore the mystical past of the ranch as told to us by the Native American tribes who lived and fought over this very same land. We will hear the stories of a ranching family who bought the property to raise prized cattle and got more than they bargained for. Then we will learn about the unlikely alliances forged between billionaire investors, government agencies, and the Defense Intelligence Agency in the process of trying to understand exactly what is happening at this most unusual place. Finally, we'll try to sort the real estate moguls from the humanoid wolves and see if, together, we can make some sense of the many and varied paranormal experiences said to constantly occur at this beautiful, secluded Utah ranch. So join me, and together we will travel with Navajo guides, read warnings etched in ancient cave paintings, follow glowing orbs, and dive through interdimensional portals to learn all about the mysteries of Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Part 1. In the Path of the Skinwalker The history of Skinwalker Ranch is intimately tied to the history of the land around it. The ranch occupies 480 acres in the Unitaw Basin of Utah, near the cities of Roosevelt and Vernal. Hundreds of years ago, the Navajo and Ute Native American tribes occupied the Unitaw Basin. These tribes had an uneasy relationship, and over the decades, they vacillated between fighting and allying with each other to conduct raids on the advancing U.S. armies. The Navajo and the Utes often engaged in the very little-mentioned Native American slave trade, whereby they would wage small hit-and-run attacks on each other's tribes in order to capture and sell prisoners as slaves to other tribes. During the American Civil War, the Utes betrayed the Navajo by allying with U.S. Army soldier Kit Carson, and together they forced the entire Navajo tribe from the Unitaw Basin, which was then given to the Utes to serve as their reservation after the wars ended. To this day, the Utes say that their ill-gotten land was cursed by the Navajo when they realized their defeat was imminent. The curse brought forth the Skinwalker, an immortal Navajo witch shapeshifter 
who can move between worlds and is something like a malevolent shaman who uses his powers for evil, revenge, and mischievous torment. According to Navajo and Ute traditions, the skinwalker takes the form of a giant wolf or other formidable creature and can at times appear as a large man-like beast with a wolf's head and hide. They are said to be incredibly fast and capable of vanishing back into the spirit world in a blink. The Utes believe that the area now known as Skinwalker Ranch is located directly on the main route these monsters take between worlds, and their word for this location literally means Path of the Skinwalker, although it is a name they will not utter. It should also be said that the idea of the curse seems to come from the Utes, and the Navajo would probably not call forth a skinwalker intentionally, even to set it upon their worst enemy. If anything, the Navajo legend of the skinwalker came to them from this place, rather than being put by them on this place. There are caves on the skinwalker ranch that have ancient petroglyphs that depict stargates, portals to other worlds, giant robot-like creatures, and tall wolf-man monsters. Navajos and Utes alike describe the area as the place where the dark angels live. In 1776, a Franciscan missionary traversing the basin wrote of seeing fiery lights in the night sky as he camped. In the 1950s, Unitaw Basin UFO reports included witnesses seeing glowing orbs in the sky, a brightly lit object emerge from a lake, then fly off over the horizon, and a metallic-looking saucer hovering silently over a hilltop. 1967 began another year-long wave of Unitaw Basin UFO sightings. From the 70s to the present day, the Unitaw Basin has seen an incredible number of unexplained cattle mutilations. This has always been a mysterious land. Its history is filled with unexplained occurrences, objects in the skies, otherworldly creatures, ghosts, and Navajo witches. And this is the land that a hardworking cattle farmer bought in the mid-1990s for the apparently perfect property he hoped would become his family's legacy. Part 2. The Gorman Experiences The family who bought the Skinwalker Ranch has requested that their names be changed in the telling of this story. This came a bit late in the game after their real names were printed in published books and spoke of for years on radio and online. You could find their real last name in a few minutes online and you might already know it. But since this family has requested that researchers and investigators use their pseudonym, I'll respect that wish and refer to them as the Gormans. The former owner of the ranch and patriarch of the family is known as Tom Gorman. Since this and all the other family names are made up anyway, for the rest of this episode, I simply refer to these family members by their relations, such as Mr. or Mrs. Gorman, the son, the nephew, and a visitor or two. I only mention all of this because there are older podcasts, radio shows, and articles out there that use the family's real names, and I don't want you to think I'm talking about a different case or a different family at this same ranch. Tom Gorman was no country rube. 
he had advanced training in livestock management and a degree in animal husbandry. He was considered an expert in livestock artificial insemination, and he had very detailed plans to raise valuable cattle and create a working legacy cattle ranch for his family. While touring the property when considering the purchase, the Gormans visited the various locations and features of the land. At the time, the ranch was unoccupied, and at least three homesteads were located at various spots on the property, all in various states of disrepair. The worst being a farmhouse abandoned for a century, which was little more than walls surrounding a rubble foundation, and the best being the main house, which, although unoccupied for a year or so, was still in sound physical condition. While inspecting the main house, the Gormans discovered what would be the first of many unexplained situations on the property. The house had heavy-duty padlocks and locking deadbolts on the exterior doors. At first, this seemed no more than tidy, albeit excessive caution. But, as they looked further, they realized that there were similar overbuilt locks on the inside of all of those doors as well as on both sides of every interior door, bedrooms, bathrooms, and closets. There were even deadbolts on the kitchen cabinets and kitchen drawers. Oddball locks aside, the property was perfect. It had wooded areas for hunting, flat, grassy prairies and fields for cattle, running freshwater streams, and much of the land was fringed by high rocky mesas which provided natural fencing and security for both the cattle and the ranch property itself. The deal was done, and Tom Gorman, his wife, and son moved onto the ranch in 1994. And they lived happily ever after. <laughs> ah, yeah. On the first day or two, they were working around the property after taking delivery of the first cattle and fencing them into a pasture near the main house. While working on a large swinging gate that would allow vehicles access to the cattle pasture, Tom Gorman noticed a wolf standing halfway across the field. He was surprised that the wolf would be so close, with as much noise and talking going on given the activities of dealing with the new cattle and working on a large fence. He watched as the wolf walked slowly toward him. The wolf was black, and as it came closer, Tom realized that it was immense. Four times the size of a normal, full-grown wolf. The animal walked casually in a calm manner, much like a friendly dog might, until it was close enough to the gate to be touched by Gorman and his son, who had now joined his father in disbelief. The giant wolf remained for a few minutes, then turned and calmly walked over to one of the calves. Tom and his son were struck by the fact that the calf remained perfectly at ease as this large wolf approached it. Without warning, the wolf bit down on one of the calf's back legs and shook it, tossing the calf away and turning back toward the fence gate. Tom Gorman, not willing to feed the cows he had just spent his life savings on, grabbed his revolver from the truck and shot at the wolf some 15 yards away. But the animal just stood and stared at him. He shot the wolf a second time, and once again, the wolf failed to even flinch. After the third shot and the same lack of effect, the wolf 
took a few steps toward the rancher. Tom Gorman stood his ground with the pistol as his son ran to fetch his 30 6 hunting rifle, a weapon that could bring down a moose. When his son returned, the wolf and his father were in the same spots, staring each other down. Tom took aim and shot the wolf behind and just below the shoulder, a well-placed shot. The wolf remained. Tom fired again, and this time he saw a chunk of fur and flesh fly from the animal where the large rifle bullet had struck. The wolf, still showing no sign of injury or fear, slowly turned, walked off across the field, and vanished into the woods. Tom and his son then tracked the wolf and followed its large paw prints to a location where a low-lying area held thin, damp mud. The tracks were pronounced and they walked behind them until, to their shock, the tracks in the mud simply stopped. In no direction could they see a print or any sign of the giant wolf. They made their way back to tend to the injured calf and as they did, Tom collected the chunk of flesh and fur he had shot from the shoulder of the wolf. When he did, he discovered that it was badly decomposed and had the odor of animal flesh that had been rotting for several days. The next day, Mrs. Gorman was startled to see what looked like the same wolf standing on the side of the road into the property. She said the wolf's back was taller than the roof of her sedan as she drove past it, and it did not move, but just watched her as she drove by. In the coming weeks, the Gormans experienced other strange events. They said that one night they awoke to lights shining through the windows, and when Mr. Gorman went outside, he found that his cattle field was fully illuminated like a football field under stadium lights, but he could see no source for the light. At other times, he saw shafts of blue light stretching from the ground to the indeterminate sky. The new owners began to hear loud mechanical rumblings when out in the fields, as if they were hearing large-scale construction and earth-moving equipment working deep underground. On multiple occasions, they heard this loud rumbling equipment operating and felt the ground shake. I read on one timeline of ranch ownership that underground rumblings and explosions were heard on the ranch as far back as between 1906 and 1911 and that these strange occurrences were reported in a few newspaper articles at the time, but I only found deleted pages when I searched for those articles. One link went to a totally blank white internet page. Ever see one of those? It's freaky, right? One day, Gorman went to check on his fences and cattle in an area of the ranch. This was a spot where there were both mature cattle and some calves, so for the past month or so, he had been checking the spot every day. When he left the location that afternoon, everything was normal. When he arrived the next day, he found that thousands of pounds of soil had been dug up from the pasture, leaving perfectly round, perfectly half-spherical holes the sizes of swimming pools in several spots in the pasture. And what looked to be all of the soil dug out had been piled into a three-foot-tall, three-foot-wide mound that now formed a low dirt wall around the entire perimeter of that cattle pasture. And there were no tire tracks or equipment marks in the grass anywhere around the holes or the newly constructed dirt wall. 
Another instance happened when he and his wife were traveling in the pickup truck from one part of the ranch to another. He passed a field where he was keeping four full-grown 2,000-pound bulls, which were used as breeding stock for the cattle, and at this time, they were being kept separate from the rest of the herd. They saw the bulls grazing in the field and resting in the shade of some trees, and Mrs. Gorman even remarked, in light of the other strange events around the ranch so far, that if anything were to happen to those four prize bulls, they would be out of business. They attended whatever work needed doing at the other side of their property. Then, about 30 minutes after passing the bulls on their way out, they passed the same field on the way back, and it was empty. They were shocked. They immediately thought that someone had somehow stolen the bulls. After all, this was valuable livestock. But they were also confused because even for a group of several of the best cowboys and an organized cattle rustling operation with a trailer of cutting horses, an empty trailer for the steers, and the ability to rope and corral four full-grown bulls and to get them into a trailer and make off with them would be quite an impressive job, even if done in an hour. But to do so in less than 30 minutes seemed impossible. Mrs. Gorman walked the road looking for signs of tire tracks or for the bulls. Tom went to inspect the field and found that the cattle gate was still closed and locked. He then heard some clunking noises and low rumbling coming from an old horse trailer at the location that was from the previous owners and had been unused for years. He looked through an oval airflow opening and was shocked to see all four of the bulls standing shoulder to shoulder, heads above tails, seemingly in a trance, silent and motionless, all barely able to fit inside this container, in two perfect rows, and all of them backed in. He called to his wife that he had found the bulls. When he did, the bulls came out of their stupor, snorted, kicked, and lunged. Gorman unwound the wire that served as the trailer door lock, and the doors flung open, the bulls emerged as a trampling hole, and he looked into the now empty but destroyed trailer. As if this entire scene were not unbelievable enough, Tom Gorman noticed that as the doors flung open, they stretched and slung off old dust-filled cobwebs that had formed over the doors. The bulls somehow placed inside the trailer without previously disturbing those. Another time, Gorman had been digging holes for a fence line with a gas-powered auger, which is like a giant corkscrew machine that is hard to handle and weighs almost 100 pounds. He set fence posts from morning until noon, at which time he stopped and took a break back at the truck to get some water. After his break, he returned to finish the job to find the large auger implement was gone. He searched the area for tire tracks and saw no evidence of any vehicles, nor of the heavy tool being dragged off somehow. What in the hell? he exclaimed weeks later as he stood dumbstruck at the edge of a tree line and looked up to see the missing, heavy, unruly piece of equipment lodged between the branches and the trunk of a tree 20 feet above the ground. He had to rent a crane to get it back down. 
One morning, Gorman had given his teenage son and a few of his son's friends the job of moving 200 metal poles used for building corrals from the front where they had been delivered to another location where a corral was planned for construction. When Mr. Gorman arrived back home that afternoon, the poles were still there in the front yard and the boys were all relaxing in the house. He confronted them and they swore they had spent half the day moving those pipes. Now it might be easy to think that the kids had just not done the work and were blaming their slacking on the weird activity at the ranch. Oh, it's just the old skinwalker alien ghosts again. But when the boys and the father went to take a closer look, they realized that all 200 of the poles, while near their original delivery location, were stacked in a different pattern and they were several yards away from where they had been before the boys had moved them like they all swore they had done. Other strange events occurred as well. Salt and pepper shaker contents would switch back and forth. And this happened so often that the Gormans would instinctively shake some into their hand before using it because they never knew which spice they would get. I guess they had those shakers labeled with an S and a P on them. I have clear ones condiment haunting problem solved. The kitchen cabinets began to open and close on their own, which may explain why the previous residents had put deadbolts on them. This also happened with the interior doors. On one occasion, Mrs. Gorman had returned from buying a week's worth of groceries. She placed the grocery bags on the kitchen table and put all of the groceries away in the refrigerator and the pantry. She went to use the restroom, then returned to the kitchen minutes later to find all of the groceries back in the bags on the table. One night while outside, Tom Gorman, his son, and his nephew heard loud disembodied male voices engaged in conversation, but in some unintelligible language. They described the voices as having a sarcastic mocking tone, as coming from 20 or 30 feet above their heads, but there was nothing to be seen there. These voices caused the Gorman's three dogs to bark at the air, but the voices continued. After a few minutes of barking, all three dogs fled together and ran back toward the house. In the spring of 1995, at dusk, Tom Gorman, his son, and his nephew saw an RV parked along a back property access road across the field from the main road to their homestead. They walked toward the RV along a trail that ran between the two roads, and as they did, it moved further away from them. They said there was no way that anyone in or near the RV could have seen them because it had grown dark. They were perplexed as they watched the vehicle move silently and rise, then lower, at locations where they knew there were fences. They then cut across the field and jumped a cattle fence to cut the RV off and catch up to it by taking a more direct route across the pasture. As they grew closer, they realized it was no RV, but a rectangular object hovering a few feet off the ground with a white light at the front and a red light at the rear, both lights glowing in what they described as a boiling manner. When they were 30 or 40 yards away, the object rose silently into the air, moved over the 50-foot treetops along a far ridge, then departed slowly over the horizon. They described it as being roughly the shape of a refrigerator on its side, but some 40 to 50 feet long. 
At other times, others in the family saw the same object, as did a neighboring rancher, all of whom say it was silent. Mrs. Gorman saw the same object or one like it land in the clearing in front of their home when her husband was out of town. She said that she saw a door open and a figure that appeared to be a man, seven or eight feet tall, dressed in black with a black visor on, stepped from the craft and began walking toward the home. She locked herself in and phoned Mr. Gorman, who returned immediately and several hours later arrived to find his very frightened wife. The craft was gone, but the next morning they searched the area where the craft had landed and found 18-inch footprints that looked as if they were made from enormous bare feet. Once, they saw a flying saucer-shaped craft fly into a rocky mesa along the edge of the property and vanish, but they heard no crash, and when investigating the area, they found no evidence of a crash or of a landing. They saw a cloud appear in a cloudless sky and it hovered just outside their property above a rocky ridge and inside the cloud they saw small flashes of many colored lights that looked like tiny red, green, blue, and orange explosions. They saw a cigar-shaped craft several football fields long. The most common aerial phenomena they saw were orange or blue spheres. The orange spheres look to be about six feet in diameter and sound very much like the orange spheres others have seen in various UFO reports over the years. Some of the witnesses in Renegade Files episode number nine, the Phoenix Lights incident, also saw orange spheres independent of the immense V-shaped craft reported in that case. Be sure to check out our Phoenix Lights episode if you haven't, or share it with a friend if you already listened to it and liked it. Thanks. During the time that Gormans occupied the ranch, they and neighboring ranchers logged at least 12 separate reports to law enforcement and news agencies concerning these orange and sometimes blue orbs of light. One account has Gorman seeing a blue orb orbiting the head of one of his horses at night. It made a static-like hum and he described the light as having a liquid and flowing quality. He approached the horse with the light around its head, and the orb then moved off through the nearby trees with, quote, great speed and dexterity. One of the most spectacular events was when one clear night, Tom Gorman and his entire family witnessed a large, glowing, silently hovering, undulating orange light that changed shapes from a flat disc to an enormous ball and then a multi-sided thin pane of light. Within this flat hovering pane, Tom Gorman described seeing, quote, another daylight sky. Tom used his binoculars and said he could see through this floating window to view an expansive blue daytime sky filled with white clouds floating by. He then looked at the object through the night vision scope of his rifle, and he could see a multi-layered portal of great depth, and within it, a large black pyramid that grew in size and moved out of the window, then passed over them. They watched in shock as it silently glided over their field and disappeared. 
Tom and his family saw this portal several times, and Tom claimed that the object changed shape and intensity based on from where it was viewed. Once he drove around the property watching the object, and as he did, it changed shape and faded, and from a distance it looked like nothing more than a glowing cloud. But as he drove back and grew closer, the complexity of the glowing portal grew more apparent. Gorman found many cattle that were the victims of unexplained mutilations, one of which was found just five minutes after Gorman's son had checked on it. These cattle were found completely devoid of blood, with no blood on the ground or in the area, missing organs, and with tiny surgical incisions made in their eyes, but with no other visible wounds. Sometimes their hide and skin was removed perfectly down to white bone in circular or square patches around their eyes, on their skulls, or on their legs. Gorman was an experienced animal caretaker and hunter and he said there was no way that these effects had been caused by predators or any disease he knew of. Gorman lost at least 14 cattle to unexplained mutilations such as this. One was a cow he found dead in a snow-covered field with a long tube-like section of the animal cored out, removed, missing, but with no blood on the bright white snow around it, and only the cow's tracks that seemed to walk in a straight line up to where the animal now lay on its side, its eyes frozen open. I also remember watching a video online some time ago. It had been filmed at Skinwalker Ranch by a few investigators and that video had a large number of photographs they had taken around the ranch and the main house, mostly at night. And these photos showed people in the images who were not there when the pictures were taken. The images weren't of misty women in Victorian dresses floating down stairways or even shadowy shapes that may or may not have looked like a person. They were things like a picture of two of the crew standing near a tree and a third person, a guy, in jeans and a red hoodie with a gray backpack just standing off to one side, maybe a bit out of focus but clearly there. Or a photo of another crew member outside of a window at the main house with a person wearing black pants and a blue long sleeve plaid shirt leaning against the house by the window with their arms crossed, who had not been there at all. The crew in the video kept saying that no one was around dressed like this or that, and they had about a dozen photos like this. It was really creepy. In a way, it was scarier due to the fact that these ghostly figures looked and were dressed like average people off the street. Not some spooky phantasm that you could choose to believe in or not, but like a guy waiting for the bus, or a shy girl at a college party. That video freaked me out, and when I was doing research for this case, I was unable to find it again. If you know the video I'm talking about, send me an email to info at therenegadefiles.com and let me know what you thought about it and give me a link if you know where it is now. That'd be awesome. The email is also on the contact page at the website, therenegadefiles.com. You can find it there. There's a link to the website in the show notes, of course. The website also has a podcast portal page with buttons for all the major listening apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. With one click, those buttons take you directly to Renegade Files on those platforms. 
So sharing the website is a great way to share the show with your friends or anyone you know who might like what we do. You can always find the website link in the show notes. Thanks. One of the most shocking events at Skinwalker Ranch happened when a guy, described by Gorman as having long blonde hair and coming from California, arrived at the ranch and asked the Gormans if he could meditate in the wilderness on their property. Apparently, these stories of supernatural happenings had made their way to certain circles and this guy was on a vision quest of sorts and he wanted to visit the paranormal hotspot to connect with some higher energy. The Gormans figured it could do no harm, so they invited the guy in and drove him to a remote spot on the ranch where an open field was bordered by a tree-covered slope. The guy spoke up. Yeah, man, right up here. Yeah, yeah, right there. Yeah, this is perfect. Cool. He said he only wanted to meditate for an hour at most and that Tom Gorman and his son could wait or they could come back and get him. Gorman and his son watched the man meditate and as they did, they heard a sound like bells or chimes coming from the trees. The bells grew louder and they saw the undergrowth shift and then a large eight foot tall humanoid creature emerged from the tree line. They said the meditating man was unfazed and sat with his eyes closed in the middle of the field about 60 or 70 yards from the trees. The Gormans were 20 or so yards away from the man back by the truck on the property road. The creature appeared to reflect the surrounding vegetation and waver in and out of focus in a manner that created a startlingly effective camouflage. The two Gorman men said that the creature then began to run toward the meditating man with great speed. They began to yell for the man to come back to the truck, but he did not break his meditation. The Gorman started toward the man yelling, The creature advanced, taking great strides and running at a frightening pace. With the Gormans 15 or 20 feet away, the creature skidded to a stop right on top of the meditating Californian and let out a deep guttural scream that sent the man tumbling back and staggering on his hands and scrabbling feet in total shock. The creature then stood to its full 8 foot height, screamed a second terrifying howl, then slowly turned and walked back into the woods. The visitor leapt into Tom's arms in complete breakdown. Tom forced the man away from him and the visitor insisted they drive him back to the gate, which they did, and the stranger left to never be seen on Skinwalker Ranch again. Finally, the instance which prompted Gorman to sell his ranch came when he was walking his dogs one night and he encountered yet another glowing blue orb. The dogs started barking, and he let them chase the object. The dogs barked and jumped at the orb, but it stayed just out of their reach as it led them to the edge of the woods. The orb moved low to the ground and into the trees. Gorman then heard the three dogs barking. He heard each of them yelp once. Then there was silence. He waited for an hour or more for the dogs to return, but they did not. Since he was alone and unarmed, he returned home. The next morning, he took his rifle to the forest edge where the dogs had vanished, and just within the tree line, in a clearing of tall grass, he found three burnt circles, and within those circles were the utterly charred carcasses of his three dogs. 
Gorman decided it was time to reconsider his long-term dreams and sell the ranch. The stories we have gone over here so far are just a few of the things that have been experienced at Skinwalker Ranch. There are even more encounters and sightings from the Gormans and many of them are retold in the book Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp. You can read the first 10% of the book for free on Amazon. It was also turned into a documentary and I'll put links to both the book and the documentary film in the show notes. So Tom Gorman was in a desperate situation. He had put his life savings into buying this ranch. He had been successful at breeding high-end cattle and while 14 out of 80 cattle had been mutilated in unexplained ways, that had not been a bankrupting loss. However, he and his family had suffered so much emotional and psychological stress that they finally did an interview with a regional newspaper basically asking for any type of help that could make the wide-ranging and unsettling events on his ranch stop once and for all. Billionaire and paranormal enthusiast Bob Bigelow saw this article. This leads us into the next segment of this case. Part 3. Bigelow and NIDS Bob Bigelow tried to help the UFO research community several times, but became discouraged since he was unable to achieve successful levels of cooperation and teamwork among the independent researchers. Upon seeing the newspaper article telling the stories of the Gormans on their ranch, Bigelow visited the property, met with the Gormans, and eventually purchased the ranch. Sometime after doing so, he met with then-Nevada Senator Harry Reid, who was also the Senate Majority Leader. Harry Reid was instrumental in setting up ATIP after encouragement from Bigelow. ATIP garnered $22 million for five years of funding, and much, if not all, of this money went to contracts secured by Bigelow. Bigelow then created his own research organization called the National Institute for Discovery Science, or NIDS. Bigelow filled his organization with established and respected physical scientists to be field operatives and entrepreneurial-minded project managers. According to the official position, ATIB was not formed until 2007, and NIDS was at Skinwalker Ranch for eight years from 1996 to 2004. However, we do know that after leaving Skinwalker Ranch, Bigelow formed a new organization that did receive money through ATIP. We'll get to that later. So it is also quite possible that NIDS received money through this program as well. The government has lied about the existence of ATIP for years, and there's no reason to doubt that we might not know every penny they have spent and exactly when. Most of the names who populated the NIDS ranks are unpublished and unknown, the reason being that many mainstream scientists will only do such paranormal work on terms of anonymity. This makes sense but it has also created fertile ground for conspiracy theories that NIDS is a front for covert government disinformation. Regardless of who else works for NIDS, we know who Bob Bigelow is, and he ended up buying the Skinwalker Ranch from the Gormans in order to set up there 
and do full-time, all-out research and surveillance of these crazy goings-on at this property. NIDS set up surveillance towers, cameras, what amounted to hunting camps around the 400-acre property, and all manner of gear and guys to man it. Tom Gorman, who stayed on to care for the cattle NIDS had there for bait, thought they were doing it all wrong. They did see things, but were never able to capture any definitive evidence. And, you know, I don't know why Gorman would think he was an expert at capturing any evidence because he never did either. There are many crazy stories reported from the NIDS team from their time there, but none of them are any more bizarre than the tales told by the Gormans. And all of that would be fine, except for the fact that now, with at least tens of millions of dollars in government funding, Bigelow's NIDS organization was being charged with gathering physical and recorded evidence of the many phenomena that seemed to plague Skinwalker Ranch. Years went on, and many strange events were witnessed, but the orbs, monsters, disembodied voices, and giant bulletproof wolves were always just out of camera frame, or showed up just after the video and audio recorders malfunctioned, or had battery troubles or whatever. It was a case of almost catching the leprechaun that lasted for eight years. And immediately that makes me think, if they really weren't capturing any evidence, why did they stay there for eight years? One situation is worth mentioning, and it might be the best physical evidence of something beyond weird at the ranch. For some time, Tom Gorman stayed on as a caretaker and consultant to help the NIDS team set up surveillance in the most likely hotspots on the ranch because he knew them. One location was a field bordered by woodlands that ran under ridges that circled this low area. This spot, according to Gorman, was where most of the orbs, portals, creatures, voices, and nuts and bolts metallic UFOs had been seen. It was also the location of most of the 14 cattle mutilations that he had documented in his time there. The NIDS team set up manned watchtowers and several video cameras with night vision optics that were powered to run 24 hours a day. On many occasions, the teams in the watchtowers would see anomalies such as UFOs. Then, when they checked the cameras, the objects would have been just out of view as it danced from spot to spot across the field, almost intelligently avoiding the cameras. They tried to capture footage with handheld cameras as well, but every time they did, the batteries would die just before an orb would appear, or they would see an orange portal in the sky, and before they could fire up the video recorder and focus it, the portal would close and vanish. Out of frustration, the NIDS team decided to install more cameras, and these would be pointed at the other cameras. This would create a crossfire of viewpoints, to eliminate all blind spots in this field. One morning, the team inspected the footage from the night before and found that three of the cameras had stopped recording simultaneously at 8.30 p.m. They inspected those three cameras and found that the internal wiring had all been snipped off at the circuit boards and the plug heads, but no wires were around to be found. Now they knew they had evidence of whatever had done this because three of the other cameras had been trained on the three damaged cameras in question. They played back the video of the other three cameras. 
They watched in anticipation as the seconds leading up to 8.30 p.m. ticked off. Time drained away. 8.29 and 55 seconds. 56. 57. Nothing appeared on the screens. 8.29 and 58 seconds. 59 seconds. 8.30 p.m. The video screens replaying the images of the damaged cameras with nothing at or near them simply showed the red indicator lights on the front of each of the three vandalized cameras all go out at exactly 8.30 p.m. They had filmed the instance when the three cameras had stopped working. They saw nothing near those cameras or at those cameras in the entire preceding day and night leading up to that point. Those cameras must have had wiring and power because they had recorded video all day and night up to 8.30 p.m. And then the other cameras saw the red lights working on the recordings made by those cameras watching them. No visuals were captured of anyone or anything tampering with the damaged cameras before or after they failed. Until they filmed the crews who climbed up there to inspect the units and found the wires all cleanly cut away and missing. It's creepy and unnerving, or at least it's mysterious, but it's still a pretty sorry result for eight years of dedicated focused efforts to capture any evidence of all of the insane experiences that allegedly happen at Skinwalker Ranch. Where are the videos of the dog frying blue orbs? Where are the videos of orbs buzzing around horse heads? Or even audio of the invisible voices? But at the same time, Just because Bigelow and Nids tells us that they could never get any proof of any of the paranormal events they witnessed doesn't necessarily make that true. Another Defense Intelligence Agency governmental contract awarded to a subsequent Bigelow creation, the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies Organization, or BAS, generated a 494-page report that documents worldwide UFO encounters over several years and focuses on extensive analysis of UFOs, but has to this day never been released to the public. Not only that, this lengthy but classified report was only a small part of the information gathered by Bass and submitted to the DIA, including 38 other studies. Topics included in some of this material include detection and high-resolution tracking of vehicles at hypersonic speeds, warp drives, dark energy, and manipulation of extra dimensions. All of this research came after Bigelow's time at Skinwalker Ranch, so it sounds to me like they did learn a few things while they were there. Harry Reid himself said in an interview that the NIDS discoveries at Skinwalker Ranch had been a part of the ATIP research efforts. Remember, this is a case filled with eyewitness testimonies from all members of a family who lived on Skinwalker Ranch for a few years. Then, they turned the property over to Bigelow and Nids, whose team worked, recorded, set up surveillance cameras, and conducted active research there for eight years. But in the end, they say they captured no evidence. If they really did get nothing the entire time, why did they stay there for eight years? And how did that nothing become a part of the ATIP research as Harry Reid says it was? 
Among those materials from ATIP that have been released are the now famous Tic Tac, GoFast, and Gimbal UFO videos. If you'd like to learn more about ATIP and these three officially verified UFO videos, check out Renegade Files episode number 6, Military UFO Footage and the Pentagon UFO Report. So it seems that Bigelow and Nids learned more at Skinwalker Ranch than they're letting on. ATIP was supposedly disbanded in 2012, but it was never even acknowledged to exist until 2017. In 2020, the Pentagon admitted the existence of what seems to be ATIP's successor program called the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, or UAPTF. I don't know if there's a way to say that one. UAPTF. This program had been giving classified briefings to congressional committees and aerospace executives for over a decade. Former Senator Harry Reid, rest in peace, said in reference to the UAPTF, quote, It is extremely important that information about the discovery of physical materials or retrieved crafts comes out. Being that UAPTF exists to study UFOs, this statement by Reed would seem to imply that the government is in possession of UFO materials and retrieved alien crafts. Where is that stuff? Area 51, right? In 2016, Bigelow sold Skinwalker Ranch to the Adamantium Real Estate Group. For a couple years, it was rumored that this real estate group was headed by some shady Japanese character, and no one was really sure who was behind it all. Which brings us to the next chapter in this saga. Part 4. Beyond Bigelow Recently, the true owner has come forward, and now we know that the new and current owner of Skinwalker Ranch is real estate entrepreneur and multimillionaire Brandon Fugel. One of the first things that Fugel's Adamantium Real Estate Group did upon acquiring the ranch was to register a trademark on the name Skinwalker Ranch, which is a pretty cool name to have trademarked. This trademark was filed by Nevada attorney Brick Power, which is also one seriously cool name. Since buying the ranch, Adamantium has installed new gates and security guard houses, beefed up security forces, had a public road that traverses the ranch redesignated as decommissioned and subsequently blocked off, complete with Area 51 style warning signs and concrete barricades warning potential researchers that, quote, you are now trespassing. Security is aware of your presence and is preparing to notify law enforcement. Turn around now to avoid prosecution. So I guess uh, hippies visiting to meditate in the fields are out of the question? The new owner is continuing the research at Skywalker Ranch and by some accounts they continue to make discoveries and have paranormal experiences, but nothing is being released to the public. However, since Brandon and his Animantium real estate group have taken over the property, there is one event that we do know about. And this is absolutely the scariest, most horrifying, and tragic event to ever take place on Skinwalker Ranch. A reality TV show. 
Those of us who have been investigating legitimate conspiracies and the paranormal for some time now have noticed an unsettling trend. The story of Skinwalker Ranch has fallen victim to this unfortunate situation. The trend is this. An unexplained phenomenon or a set of circumstances where logic and evidence conflict with the mainstream narrative is suddenly given lip service credence and churned into a full-featured documentary made by a corporate media giant like the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, the Cooking Channel, or whichever one grabs the rights first. Most often, these reality documentaries are produced by smaller companies who then sell their content to the aforementioned big cable networks. What happens then is a muddying of the waters where a polished and well-written series over-dramatizes the story, populates it with a confusing cast of a few actual witnesses mixed in with mostly actors, and proceeds to make a story where the most credible participants, like the scientists or PhDs, have well-grounded explanations, but are portrayed as indifferent, boring, and nonplussed. While the least credible, most cliched experiencers of whatever phenomenon are presented as being highly entertaining, passionately convinced, and persuasive. This allows the production to satisfy a wide range demographic of both skeptics and believers. The skeptics get to ridicule the flamboyant or backward witnesses, and the true believers get to hate the boring, nerdy, and sometimes even rude debunkers. Examples of unexplained phenomenon that have received the modern corporate cable channel treatment include Roswell, Crop Circles, UFO Disclosure, JFK, 9 11 the moon landings, and Bigfoot, just to name a few. And the guys on these shows always have nicknames like they're Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and Step Brothers. You can call me Dragon. Okay, but you have to call me Nighthawk. And now Skinwalker Ranch joins the ranks of those types of documentaries. These shows turn three minutes of information into an hour-long show. They do things like three minutes of airtime previewing a scene where the guys take a drone to a hotspot location, but can't film because the drone won't connect to the controller. Then after a commercial break, we come back and watch the same preview again. Then we watch the actual scene where the same guys show us the same equipment and talk about how it's so weird that it isn't working. Usually during this five minute segment, all of their cell phones stop working too. Then they talk about how weird that is. That's really weird. Then they talk about how every time they come to this area, all of their electronics always stop working. So weird. And did we say that the drone stopped working? Yeah, man, that's weird. But they never mention the fact that all of their Sony F65 digital video cameras, their boom mics, and their audio recorders are all working fine, which they obviously are because we're watching this film being made. That's so weird. Then they show a parting shot of all the guys standing around the folding table, their arms up in perplexed shrugs of inexplicable weirdness, looking at the drone that just won't work. Then, this parting shot pulls back to show the rugged terrain and the dusty road leading off into the haunted distance, a gorgeous, sweeping, ascending drone footage shot. 
With a quick look online, I found a list of over a hundred of these types of paranormal reality TV shows. The New York Times says these types of shows are akin to professional wrestling because of their formulaic tease approach. They string you along and never reveal anything. And in the greater scheme, it isn't a big problem when a large mainstream media company gives attention to a paranormal subject then creates a show or a series about it, but it does have a few negative effects. One, it makes it harder for the general public to engage in critical conversations on these subjects. Ask someone what they think about Roswell and they might begin talking about the episodes of that fictional TV show. This same thing happens when you bring up the subject of Men in Black. Oh, you mean that Will Smith movie, right? That little alien dog was hilarious. Another issue it creates is that it makes it harder and harder to do actual research. While working on this episode, I did a YouTube search for Skinwalker Ranch, and a full 24 of the first 45 videos were History Channel videos from the Skinwalker Ranch mockumentary show. Remember when YouTube was user-created content? Remember when the History Channel made shows about history? Summary and Conclusions Man, I love this one. Researching and making this episode was really fun. This case is the most drastic example of a negative evidence-to-experience ratio of any paranormal story I've ever heard. The Skinwalker Ranch tale has an overwhelming quantity and variety of documented experiences combined with a total dearth of any photo, video, or even audio recording. But that doesn't mean that nothing supernatural is happening there. This case would be an anecdotal oddity of a cattle farmer and his family that quite possibly all went crazy living alone in the Utah wilderness, Overlook Hotel style, if not for a few other factors. Those factors are the hidden discoveries of two super rich investors. One, billionaire Bob Bigelow Space Gigolo, who bought the ranch for $200,000, then parlayed that into a $22 million governmental black ops contract. The other, a real estate tycoon who bought the ranch, trademarked the name, then shopped it out to make a reality TV show on the land. No solid evidence has ever been made public from the activity of either of these groups, but the things we have heard from leaked employees and read between the lines of public records from the DIA and ATIP include such things as anti-gravity propulsion, extra-dimensional travel, dark energy, hypersonic speed crafts, recovered UFO metamaterials, reverse-engineered captured UFOs, interdimensional portals, and disembodied intelligent entities. All of this is tied up in multi-million dollar contracts that are funded by tax dollars then kept secret for decades. And if there are any results, whether for the advancement of science, national defense, or space travel, we aren't being told about it. And that's the best case scenario. The other possibility is that all of this is nothing more than an elaborate shell game played by billionaires, Pentagon insiders, senators, and aerospace executives, 
all engaged in shuffling around millions upon millions of taxpayer dollars to create projects with acronym names whose main purpose is to pay each other grants and salaries that use up those millions of dollars lining their own pockets and to produce lengthy reports that no one can ever see but them. The questions surrounding Skinwalker Ranch specifically are not as clear-cut. The strange tales of that locale go back to the Native American tribes. Ancient rock wall petroglyphs on the property depict monsters, robots, and wolves the size of Clydesdale horses. The Navajos take the legends of the Skinwalker so seriously that they refuse to even speak of it. There are still stories from this area of Utah that are fully unexplained. One family was driving along a dark highway at 70 miles per hour when they saw a human-like figure, 7 to 8 feet tall, covered in fur, and with the head of a wolf, emerge from a field to run along the roadside and keep pace with the car. The creature screamed a terrifying howl, then veered away from the road, and they watched it running across a flat plateau until it vanished among the distant rocks. In shock, the mother father and daughter continued to drive along the dark highway what was that the daughter asked before either parent could answer and with the car still traveling at 70 miles per hour along the long straight dark highway there came a solid knock on the passenger rear window from outside the vehicle the girl screamed there was nothing to be seen outside the car they were driving 70 miles an hour then again, as if a stranger were standing outside of a parked car, came the knock. Stories such as this, as well as constant sightings of UFOs, glowing orbs, and unexplained oddities such as flocks of brightly colored tropical birds unknown to the area, or midnight valleys being flooded with bright light from no visible source, and bright blue beams streaming down into fields and ascending into the stars persist to this day. If you take what the Native Americans say about the area, it seems like the location is some kind of portal where things from other worlds, other times, or other dimensions slip through. Remember the story of Tom Gorman seeing the glowing orange cloud over his field at night and in its center he could see an opening with bright blue sky on the other side? What is that? And if he was making up paranormal tales, why and how the insane variety? I mean, yeah, people make up stories about seeing a UFO or Bigfoot. But who makes up a story about a prehistoric-sized wolf that can't be killed, blue orbs that fry dogs, portals to other dimensions in the sky, portals that they see tall black figures crawl out of, UFOs shaped like RVs, salt and pepper switching containers, voices speaking from 20 feet in the air in a mocking foreign language, groceries rebagging themselves, post hole diggers putting themselves high up in a tree, who mutilates 14 cows in a surgical way no one can explain, then removes the organs and skin but leaves no blood. And there are pictures of the mutilated cattle, by the way. That may be the one bit of photographic evidence we have to come from all of this. But the point is that the sheer variety of weirdness said to happen at Skinwalker Ranch, and not just by one person, but a whole family and two teams of private researchers, 
it all seems way beyond what anyone would make up. The Gormans seem to have not benefited from the stories except that they did sell the ranch because of it, but it is by all accounts a secure, well-watered, level ranch and they could have sold it anyway if they wanted to. Bob Bigelow and his NIDS and then Bass companies did benefit from the ranch and its stories to the tune of governmental contracts up to $22 million. Brandon Fugel turned the whole thing into a reality TV show that as far as I know is in its second season and it's said to be quite popular and that comes with royalties and merchandising and advertising revenue so he definitely makes money from the ranch by owning it and not in the traditional rancher way. Some of the coolest pictures are of the Adamantium Command Center and security gates and fences with that alien logo. I also have tons of articles and stories about Skinwalker Ranch, and you can find those pictures and links in the Dark Intel Files on Patreon. As a member of the Renegade Files agency on Patreon, you become a part of our inner circle of deep investigators. You get to post comments and interact with me and other agency members, and you can join for a very small amount of money, like 5 bucks a month or even less if you want. You can also stop the donations at any time. Patreon allows independent creators like me to earn money from the long hours of research, writing, production, and delivery work it takes to make these podcast episodes for you. The Renegade Files episodes are always free and ad-free. You can help us stay that way and get really cool extra content in return. Plus, you get to interact with me and other Renegade Files fans on a secure platform that only we can see. So come check out the Patreon page and I'll see you in there. After looking into everything here, I have to say that it seems like one of those places that has some otherworldly energy going on. I have a profound respect for the Native American people and their traditions and stories. When our modern lives cause us to enter their sacred spaces and we are then confronted with unexplainable events and experiences, and those experiences mirror the precise descriptions of the Native Navajo legends they described as occurring in that very same location hundreds of years ago, we must take those legends seriously at some point. I mean, the Navajo and the Ute Native Americans tell us, don't go there. The worst of our ancient demons live there. They say the mesas of this ranch are quite literally in the path of the skinwalker. They refuse to even talk about it. They warn the world. And then people go there and things go off the rails. All manner of unsettling and disturbing stuff happens to them, and then they're surprised about it. The Navajo have a proverb. There is nothing as eloquent as a rattlesnake's tail. So, no words are as concise, poignant, and instantly understood. That sound is a warning. Stop. Go back. Don't tread here. If you trample on, you have been warned. Thank you so much for coming with me to the Skinwalker Ranch. This is your host, Lex Gordon. I love diving into these incredible stories with you, and I'm looking forward to the next episode when we can do it again. I'm grateful to have you as part of the Renegade Files crew. Stay wild, deviant child.